Welcome to the Canvey Christian Church Podcast. You're listening to an On Sunday episode. That's the episode where the pastors of the church get together in an old, dirty basement to talk about what happened on Sunday. Occasionally, we are joined by a guest, which we have this week, but we'll get to that in a moment. For now, I'm Cody. And I'm Aaron. And I'm Brandon. Brandon (laughs) is our guest. He's one of our elders, uh, among many other things that we'll get to. Um, Brandon, how was your week? It's been a good week. It's been a good week. Yep. Do anything fun? We had a interesting day on Saturday. Went out and helped out a lady move, but okay, five cool. of us guys got to be together doing that after the men's huddle and nice. just had an excellent time together. And yeah. Lunch and things. So, Sweet. Yeah. That's always fun. Doing some work, but also... Yeah. Being silly together. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> Plenty of that, yes. How about you, Aaron? What's that? You have a good week? Well, last week I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast that I was going to leave and go down to La Quinta. Right. And I had a retreat with a couple of pastor friends of mine. Um, I've mentioned it. I think I mentioned it on Sunday, but they're my oldest Christian friends and one's in L.A., one's in Santa Barbara. And so... Yeah, it was a great time. I and mean, basically the the goal is to encourage, challenge, hold accountable, confess, pray for, you know, and each guy has a night. So there's just three of us, so it's three nights. And uh, you know, one guy has one night and we just hear him out. How is his year? How does he see God working in his life? What is he dreaming about in the future and how can we kind of pray for him? How's his family doing? All that stuff. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I was overall like encouraged. This is our third time doing it. So it's kind of been cool to see not just like each year, but, or not just one year, but the last few years, Mm. what has kind of happened. So it was a, it was a good time and I got to play golf a couple of times. I mean, when, when in the desert of California, you need to bring your golf clubs with you. So I got to do that and, uh, hung out with another friend afterward his name is nick just a guy that i've known a really long time and we hung out and had dinner and played golf too so anyway i came back saturday and it was a little unfortunate because i left and then i got a text message the next day from my wife saying she has covid and uh it was like (laughs) a part of me was like so that's horrible but another part of me was like so should I just stay in La Quinta a few days longer? Cause <laughs> I could do that. You know, if you need to quarantine alone with the kids, You'll you know, get a few more rounds, of I golfing. Could, a few more rounds. <laughs> um, and then Rob, who oh is, who is not with us today, uh, also came down with the Rona. Yeah. So I don't know. It was just, it was kind of like cool things happened, but also uncool things happened back home. You right. Know? <laughs> so anyway, overall, like a really good week. Yeah, cool. Nice. How about yours? Um, mine was good. Yeah, not a not a whole lot happened. I was, you know, besides uh, Melody in the front office, I was here by myself most of the week because <laughs> you were right. gone and Ashley was gone and yeah, sh- and uh, yeah. Robert came down with COVID. That was weird. I never call him Robert. Robert, did I call him Robert, or did you just do it for some reason? I just did it for some reason. That's weird. Maybe because he's not here, so I feel like I need to speak formally about him. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it was funny. So I walk into the airport Saturday morning, ready to fly home, and I knew Ashley was down there too. And all of a sudden, I hear this, Aaron, 
Aaron. And I'm looking around and there's Ashley. We didn't even know we were on the same flight heading back home. So that was kind of cool. Yeah, that's awesome. But so anyways, we got Brandon here for the first time. Brandon Chase, if you do not know him, is an elder here at the church. You've been an elder <coughs> uh, multiple different terms. Uh, terms, I guess. Yeah, that'd be the word for it. But how long have you been an elder in this current capacity? In the current term? Yeah. I think this is my second year. That Just I'm, your second year, so a short yeah. one. But then uh, how, how long would you guess if you had to in total have you spent? Year one, years wise. Years? Um, 15 or 16, I suppose. Nice. Yeah. Cool. And then you grew up in this church. Is yeah. that correct? This room was one of my Sunday school classrooms <laughs> Which back is in so the day. Weird so if you've yeah. ever been down in this basement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Lots no. of good memories. What would you say was your favorite uh, out of all of them? What was your favorite uh, year at Canby Christian? My favorite year? As, yeah. as an elder or just in general? Just in general. Out of every year you've ever been at this church. Oh, jeesh. Um, <laughs> That's a weird question. That man. is a weird question, yeah. <laughs> I don't know of a year. I mean, I... Jeesh. I'm going to maybe answer for you to some degree because you encouraged me like yeah. a month ago. Did I? Nice. Yeah, you did. You said at one of our elder meetings or something, you said out of all the years that you've been here, there's never been more... Mom- you've never felt more momentum, was the word oh, yeah. you used, yeah. than right now. That so this true. year's your favorite? Well, I, I mean, it's somewhat connected, but <laughs> I was... see his face. <laughs> it doesn't have to be the favorite, but like, I mean, he was describing no, was the it? quality as momentum right now. <laughs> yes, you know there's I mean? a lot of positive momentum right now, and it's just really exciting. And it's I'm probably more involved now in different things than I've been in, at most any other time, um, just with whether it's the Friday morning coffee or our life group does a movie night on Friday nights. And nice. we, I mean, we just do a bunch of different things together and it's really a kind of a neat thing to, mm-hmm. um, so that, that's exciting. Um, so yeah. So things are good. Nice. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, and you do, besides being an elder, you do do quite a bit around here. You're usher. Like, a, like you just mentioned, you're as long as I've been here, you've been probably the main, uh, facilitator of that, uh, kind of Friday morning coffee for guys. If you ever want to join, it's usually at Gwen's at eight, sometimes a different time, but talk to Brandon. Yeah. <laughs> He'll tell you where it is that time, but most of the time it's Gwen's at eight on Friday. If you guys want to, uh, jump in on that. Uh, but you've also one thing people might not know except for recently because you've been promoting the mission trip to Mexico coming up on spring break, but you've also facilitated quite a few, <laughs> Uh, mission trips, short-term mission trips for mm-hmm. the church. Yeah, so this is going to be, I think, year seven, 17, I think, for going on spring break. Wow, that's and crazy. Yeah, so it's, and it's been big groups, small groups, um, just all sorts of different makeups of teams. Um, my first trip to Mexico was back before our church was partnered with Amor, but I went as a high schooler my freshman and sophomore years. Yeah. And we did construction projects, but it wasn't through an organization. I don't even know really who we were working with, but we built a house one year. And one year we 
help build a church. You just went and built a house and figured somebody will move into it? Somebody must, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) But I remember like Forrest Fowler and Stephanie Newman, Greg Barb Newman's daughter, and we were all, and Aaron Peterson, which Aaron Howe Mm -hmm. at the time, but we're all together on those first trips. That's funny to think about. Yeah, so long, long ago. That's cool. And then you facilitated Uganda trips as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think been there eight or nine times. So nice. that's kind of a passion of mine. And especially the last few years going with Eric Peterson and just doing different mission work there. Just the two of us or sometimes there's more that will join us as well. But uh, love going there as well. So Nice. Yeah. That's awesome. And uh, is there anything I'm missing? Is there another place, or is Mexico and Uganda the main two that you've done trips? That's for? the only ones I've done. Okay, f- with as far as mission trips with the yeah. church. So. Right. Nice. <clears throat> but I'll always any any excuse I get to travel somewhere, I'm I'm gonna go. Yeah. So, yeah. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Um, and then share with us. Obviously, you grew up in the church, but how did you? Uh, was there a moment that you realized? that you have your own faith in Jesus? Is it something that happened just over a long period of time of learning it from a kid, learning it from your parents? Yeah, I mean, I'd say I don't really have a point in time where got struck by lightning or anything like that. It was just <laughs> mainly just growing up in a Christian family and um, being around, you know, my parents. My grandmother played a bigger, not I wouldn't say bigger role, but a very big role in okay. my faith and just my um She's one that probably taught me more about serving others and mm. service and things. She mm. was always one of the pianists and organ player back in the day. And here at Cami, here, yeah, yep, here. Cool. And I remember she always sat up in the front row uh, so that she could jump into that role whenever it was needed. But I'd go <laughs> sit by her, and she'd always give me a few pennies or something to put in the offering tray. And <laughs> nice. and uh, so was, she was just always a good example. And of they that were worth way. more back then. They was yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. And yeah. and remind me, it was her <laughs> recipe of the pie, right? Oh, yeah. the famous, oh, the yeah. famous pie. pie that goes up for hundreds of dollars at the auction. Yeah. Yep. The lemon meringue pie. The lemon meringue pie. Yep. If you've never been to an auction or heard of the auction, this, this is a prize part of it was when people start bidding hundreds of dollars for a single pie. Yeah, that, that used <laughs> but it's to, more about the legacy. And the right. And that tradition. used to make her so mad when I would buy that pie when she was still with us and pay a couple hundred dollars or she whatever it was. Why was she mad? Because she could have made you She's one. like, I'll just make you a pie. Tell me, just come over and I'll make you a pie. Uh, <laughs> you don't like, have to pay any money. You're like, I'm donating. That's right. That's, yeah. But it's nice. kind of one of those things that uh, Debbie Jones has kind of picked up uh, her legacy of making that okay. lemon meringue pie. So awesome. still got a bid on that every year. So. That's funny. That's cool. Well, we're going to try to bust that auction back out this year, so. Good. Yeah. <laughs> nice. But Brandon, not you You were, so you've been on for two years now, but you took two years off, right? You were took, because you yeah, I were. I think I had two, was it two or three? But I was. No, th- it was two, because I got, you were an elder when I came on, and you rolled off th- like a year and a half after I came on. Okay, yeah. Um, And then you were off for two years, but you. Uh, I mean, you've been a significant player in the transition over the last few years, you know, and God has used you in that. So even though it was weird, you were being off kind of once an elder, always an elder. So even though you were off, like you still helped out a ton in, in great ways. So anyway, I appreciate you and your ministry here. Yeah, I 
it's home so i'm happy to help yeah 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 nice and people may or may not know that your main gig is working for edward jones as a financial advisor um and so we always try to have a little bit of fun we have a guest on and uh, <laughs> edward jones has a uh, some fun financial trivia no that way they make available oh, sounds like a very it. fun really? company Really? Yeah, so I have a couple of questions for you oh boy. to see how well you can pass the Edward Jones financial trivia just for fun <laughs> part of the website I found <laughs> as I was Googling around today. All right. Okay. Here's your first one. Which two women have appeared on the U.S. $1 coin? Susan B. Anthony. I, yeah. I, 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 I was going to guess that, was that a good one. one. Yeah, you could participate too, Aaron. Susan B. Anthony. <laughs> There's one more. One more. Mm-hmm. A coin. Mm. So th- this is a very Oregon answer, if that helps. Kate Brown. <laughs> 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 I have no idea. No, Sacagawea, the Oregon Sacagawea. Trail. The Oregon yes. Trail. Sacagawea nice. Wow, that's that, pretty amazing. I guess that was like a gold coin or a gold color. I think. Yeah. If I remember right. Here, here's yeah. another one. I did not. I didn't know this one. Why did the U.S. government put grooves on the edges of coins? Hold on. This I is think from I the know Edward this. Jones quiz. I think I know this one. Hmm. Go for it. I have no idea. I'm not going to send this quiz to your employer. They might be disappointed. They might let me <laughs> it's, go. It's not just <laughs> like for basic like grip and friction. No, no I guess originally so they you did can it. scratch off the stuff on lottery tickets? <laughs> no, they, <laughs> they originally did it when they were made of gold and silver. I guess people would shave them. You take like a the coin and shave oh. chunks of silver and gold. But off you of wouldn't it, be able to but tell. But make it look pretty round still. So they put those grooves. But now actually the grooves serve a new purpose in that I guess uh, if you are blind, you can feel the grooves of the coin to know which one it is. Interesting. There's different textures to it. But yeah, originally people were shaving off yeah, chunks of gold sense. and stuff from it. All right, so here we're going to transition. Actually, I have one more. According to a recent study. This is not from Edward Jones, so you can fail this one. According to a recent study from the University of Pennsylvania's Wharton School, the secret to unlimited happiness is to acquire as much of what as possible. Acquire as much as what? I'm going to say money is probably the wrong answer, so friends. It actually was money. Money was the right answer. Oh, my Money was the right answer. That's the, the wrong more, answer. The more money you get, the happier you are. The study confirmed it. They used to say you uh, increased your happiness up to uh, $75,000 a year salary. And past that, there's a diminishing return. But they proved that even more money makes you even more happier. It's a pretty hmm. cool study. Wow. That's we could debate horrible. that. <laughs> that's like that that uh, Super Bowl commercial, right? Where you're talking about the guy. Um, more money makes you more. Oh happy. man, what's his name again? That actor. Uh, I can't remember the Jedi guy. Yeah, the Jedi guy. Oh, I Ewan can't McGregor. Ewan, Ewan McGregor. McGregor. Yeah. I, yeah. yeah. How it was like? You don't need more stuff. What you need is a vacation. That'll bring you happiness. <laughs> it's horrible. <laughs> but they did actually say that was true of people. Uh, in the study, they would ask people if uh, they defined their success by the amount of money they made and people who did actually weren't happier. If you defined your success by the amount of money you could make, that did not make you happy. Mm. And people who have found other studies, people who have found purpose and calling in their work uh, are actually 
you know, they're, they're happier yeah. also, you know? Uh, so transitioning to another one of your hobbies Ooh. that people might not know about, I'm going to ask you this one. Okay. Cause the <laughs> people might know this, this, uh, phrase bringing home the bacon, right? It's about the money maker. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, and Brandon is a pig farming aficionado. How would you say it? I, he raises pigs. I, I have, <laughs> I've had pigs, yes. So. <laughs> you haven't raised. You're not raising them currently. I don't have but, any currently. But part of what you do in Uganda is uh, yep. helping people raise and farm pigs. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was wondering. So the, here's our transition from money to pigs. The phrase "bringing home the bacon." Can you guess where that phrase originated? This is actually an interesting. Like the place where it originated, like country, or, or like could, like be, the could be the place or why. What does it mean? Bringing home the bacon. Any guesses? This is pretty good. Hmm. Seems like, as far as location, it'd be like a definitely European, but England probably. But I would think that bacon was an expensive thing. So if you're able to bring home the bacon, it means you made some good money to go buy that bacon and bring it home. So here's what I discovered. Okay. (laughs) And maybe this will start a new ministry for us. The (laughs) phrase bringing home the bacon, it originated back in the 12th century. When a church in England offered a side of bacon to any man who could swear before the church that he had not fought or quarreled with his wife for over a year. And so any man who could bring home the bacon was well respected in the community. That's the best. That's wow. a great story. <laughs> that is the origins of the phrase. So did they ever give the any away or I don't I'm assuming <laughs> like somebody could. Yeah. Somebody lied and got the well, bacon. Well, I mean, or? there's a men's ministry right there. <laughs> we gave out all kinds of bacon at the last men's huddle, and we didn't ask anyone if they had quarreled with their wives. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. We didn't even check. All right, so here's the very last one. What if she started it, though? The quarrel, I'm saying. I, I don't know. You know. It's just unfair. I didn't read the f- fine print of the 12th century. <laughs> she, wants you to bring, she wants you to bring home the bacon, though. Yeah, well, that's what Melody asked as I was talking to her about. She's like, well, what did the wife get? Like, yeah. The wife gets a she husband got the who bacon. brings the bacon. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, does transition well, though, from the finances <laughs> to this in regard to our investment of time and energy and resources. How are we spending our time? Are we concerned with Absolutely. the present day or that day, that day, the day to come? Anyway. Yeah. Absolutely. No, that's a good transition. Should we keep going? Yeah, let's keep going. <laughs> <laughs> so we were in Romans 13 this week. We we're picking up basically the very end of uh, the passage. And it's this. It says, uh, starting in verse 11, Besides, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Uh, Aaron, as you were reading through that, you actually you asked us a question uh, that sparked quite a bit of conversation in our huddle before service that day of something you were debating around as you were preaching yeah um and for those of you who don't know those who serve in the morning on sundays we ask them to gather 
a little bit early on so that we can sort of encourage them and give a little bit of instruction for the morning, like logistical instruction. Um, but usually we shared <coughs> a devotion and Rob wasn't there this week. So I just kind of took over and I, I was struggling over this passage because I think anybody who is speaking a sermon and, and especially one like this, where you feel like the author is really not not getting in his readers faces but sort of really a strong challenge of hey the behavior i mean it, just read first corinthians and that's what paul is doing over and over and over again like a lot of strong challenges of hey you're doing all of the wrong things in the church and in your relationships but this feels like a a, a big challenge and and so i was but it's hard to like i think as a pastor to be both honest and true with the passage but yet be loving and considerate with the people in front of you and not not being um misunderstood or miss like being unheard uh for what you're actually saying and so anyway i asked them like how do how do do would you guys talk about this how how hard would you push the button on this a passage like this that's really challenging people to to wake up and stop being well slumbering in your <laughs> spiritual bed right. when there's work to be to be done and i i mean in one sense vulnerability comes to mind in regard to our spirituality of uh, someone who is asleep spiritually there's not a more vulnerable position I mean, the enemy can come in and, and take you down because you're just sitting there sleeping, right? Somebody breaks into your house when you're sleeping, it's a vulnerable position. And he's saying you're, you're being vulnerable um, by being spiritually asleep. And so it's time to wake up to the craziness that is around you and, and in our world. So anyway, I don't know if that answers your question. No, it did. On that. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I thought people had good, uh, I thought good insight when you opened that up to... Uh, you know, for us to give you some input. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, it passages like this are, are hard in the, in the pastoral sense because you want to pastor people lovingly and, and graciously. You want to like patiently lead people toward transformation, which is what we've been talking about here. But like this passage specifically, you kind of feel he's sort of like a like he almost wants to scream at you. Like, wake up you know like it's time to get up like the lord is coming back soon the day is at hand the night is over um and you know some people in more of a practical sense are more morning people some people like to sleep in i'm i'm not a morning person uh so it's hard for me to wake up um but i think it's it's that person who's like man i'd rather like sleep in spiritually speaking you know and uh i, I mean that's the person he's trying to like get out of that spiritual slumber, you know, and get, get moving, get active. But in, in regard to the, the moment, I, I think where I was a little bit hesitant was w in regard to lockdowns and people like moving to church online, mm -hmm. my initial fear and our initial fear was people will get comfortable by just yep. watching church online. And then that level of comfort right uh metaphorically speaking you put your feet up and you are literally watching a tv but you're just your church <laughs> yeah. becomes sort of disconnected from your regular everyday relationships 
with people. And, and as you do that, then there's another drift and then another drift. And before you know it, you're like, oh my gosh, I haven't, I don't even watch the TV anymore. I don't even watch the, my computer screen. I'm not connecting at all. I'm not listening to podcasts. I'm not reading my Bible anymore. Like before you know it, you're like so far asleep. Like you need a brother or sister to come in and throw a bucket of cold water on you. Anyway, my point is I was, I, I was nervous because I didn't want to come across, you know, like I'm chiding people who genuinely, you know, needed to stay home because of health reasons or things like that. At the same time, they need to think about like, but why am I staying home so long? I mean, it's been two years and like this, I mean, I could see, you know, being cautious for a season, but at the end of the day, like we're all going to meet Jesus. Mm. And, you know, like if you, you think about in light of Christ's return, how am I spending my last few days, my last couple years on this earth, you know? Mm. Um, and I think that that, that's the big ethical question of this passage of scripture. How am I spending my days and my time in light of that day that is coming? And there, one of the passages of scripture that always challenged me and encouraged me at the same time was when Peter said, uh, told his readers, redeeming the time for the days are evil. And I was always encouraged by that passage because like, unlike Brandon, like I didn't grow up in the church and I, I made a lot of really dumb decisions. And by the time I became a Christian at 20 years old and started getting involved in the church, like I was becoming friends with kids who like went to private Christian school and, you know, had these solid Christian families. And I felt really handicapped. Like they knew mm -hmm. more about the Bible than me and I just felt like I wasted my life. And uh, as a quick sidebar on that, this text right here was the first sermon I ever preached when I was, I was 22 years old and I preached it in a high school ministry. And so like the first time <laughs> I ever prepared a Bible study yeah. was this passage of scripture, which is somewhat ironic. But, you know, I studied, I prepared, I did the normal stuff and I, anyway, I don't know how good it was. I still remember things about it though. Um, but a, a high school kid came up to me, really intelligent high school kid who went to private Christian school. And he was like, oh man, I love that passage. Like, man, it, it fascinates me that Augustine was saved by reading that passage. And I'm like, how does a 16 year old know about Augustine? Gosh, I'm like a nerd. Oh, dude, total, <laughs> just, total nerd. In fact, he was a really brilliant kid. He, I mean, later uh, on, totally he, he was in my wedding. I mean, he, we nice. ended up having a great relationship and uh, his name is Tyler. And, but I just remember him saying that and just being kind of blown away. Like here's a 16 year old that knows more about like the, the things related to this text than like I do. And I just spent hours and hours and hours preparing for this. Yeah. So anyway, I felt really handicapped and I just remember <laughs> being, uh, it, it being a prayer of mine to think I want to redeem the time. And, and I prayed, God help me to like make up for lost time. And, and, you know, as I look back, I really feel like that happened. Yeah. I mean, I went to college at 29 years old. Um, but I mean, I, I guess I kind of look at where I'm at spiritually and 
I mean, I'm, you know, became a lead pastor at 32 years old, 33 mm -hmm. years old. I mean, that's pretty random, you know? Uh, you know, it's just things have happened where I felt like the Lord did rede redeem the time, you know? And I'm really, really thankful for that. But in light of that, the moment that he saved me, in light of the fact that I felt like I wasted so much time, but in light of the fact that time is so short in this life, um, why not redeem that? Why not? Because it's the only, you know, Brandon's into uh, investing, but it's it's the one thing you can invest in. But like, if you don't, it, you'll never get it back. Mm. And and yet in the in the miraculous way that God works in the providence of God, He can He can redeem the time. So even if you only invest two years of your life, you know, he can make those two years, you know, the most impactful two years of, out of all of your life, you know? So anyway, that's a ramble. Yeah. Sorry, I rambled. Well, I'm sure me and, and Brandon, who have grown up in church, probably could tell you it doesn't, doesn't necessarily mean you come out the other side super spiritually mature. You know, there's probably by, by growing up in the church. Thing? Yeah, 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 probably, yeah. I don't know that you were necessarily all that much farther behind. Well, and I've always kind of in a way, I don't know if jealous is the right word, but I've kind of been jealous of people who have a, a testimony like what you do, Aaron, where uh -huh. mine, I don't really have any great testimony to share as far as how I came to Christ or I mean, I wasn't led into a church at, you know, you know, I've always been in the church. I was, yeah, yeah. I, it's just so I kind of wonder how i mean in my mind it's like how impactful is my story to somebody i mean mm. where you have a story that really is impactful mm -hmm. so it's i think there's kind of two sides of that and and i'm sure i'm wrong in in thinking that way but at the same time <laughs> i it, it is what's in my mind it's sure like whenever i get asked to tell my testimony it's like well what, what do you want me to like, what do you want me to say? You know, so. <laughs> but, it, but at the same time, there's other elements of your story, like when you lost everything, mm -hmm. yeah. like you've experienced. I mean, did you do bankruptcy or like were you at that level? Mm -hmm. yep. Yeah. I mean, so you've seen the bottom. Yep. And it's. Yeah, that was sucks. back in 2008 <laughs> when we had a trucking business of all things. And mm -hmm. then, you know, what happened to the economy then? And yeah, we were, I mean, we were at that point in time spending $15,000 a day to buy fuel to buy fuel trucks across the country and Jeez. fuel prices skyrocketed and yep. the economy went in the tank and we ended up closing that down and yeah basically started all over yeah so, and that's yeah. what led you to working for edward jones was basically career ended and what you were doing before yeah, i was working at the bank doing construction lending which yep. was crazy back then in 2005 and 2006 you know, awesome. before then it was, it's a great job <laughs> but um and then while doing that that's when i started the trucking company with my dad and um and then when lending went so bad um jumped over and went working full-time with dad on on the trucking business and then that didn't last yeah. more than not more than a year i don't wow. even know if it was that long before hmm. and then Basically started all over and jumped into Edward Jones. Um, friend invited me, said, hey, you need to get over here. And, yeah. Uh, been there ever since. Loving yeah. it. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nice. So, I mean, in one sense, it's not like you haven't, uh, like when I was preaching through Genesis, it kind of reminded me of when, when Jacob was kicked out of the house. Mm -hmm. You know, he was obviously raised in a, in a house where his parents knew God raised him kind of to know God in, in that they were, well, his wife was, or his mother was manipulative as could, all could be. 
Um, but eventually they kicked him out because his brother was going to kill him. You know, there was like <laughs> threats and, right. and he kicks him out. And the next scene is he's in a desert and he's goes to sleep laying his head on a rock. And I remember pr titling that sermon when you've hit rock bottom. And it's in that scene that God appears to him on the famous story of Jacob's ladder and the angels are going up and down on the ladder. And whether you're raising the church all of us kind of come to that moment like Jacob did when God makes himself known to you personally and and sort of provides for you, um, shows that his presence is there with you, not just with your parents or with your uncle or whatever, but he's actually personal with you. And uh, so anyway, that that your story of like losing it all kind of reminds me mm -hmm. of like, but yet God was still there. Absolutely. And, uh, I mean, well, I think through we go through time of challenge, like I guess is where I grew a lot closer to God for mm -hmm. sure. And, uh, yeah, through those trials and challenges and, yeah. And he got us through. Yeah, mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, what I was going to say about this passage of scripture too, that I found kind of fascinating, um, I was I was mentioning to Cody before you walked in, Brandon. Um, but there's ways like that Christians respond differently to the the seasons of the times that they're living in, and he's obviously calling Christians that in light and to do all the things he had just said in the previous context, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. Submit to the governing authorities. Uh, serve in the church. Use your gifts. Um, don't don't think too high of yourself love sincerely all all of these sort of christian imperatives and he says do all of this knowing the time is short so i i use the phrase yolo you only live once mm -hmm. and it's like so if you only live once in this life and you don't think there's anything afterward then yeah eat drink and be merry but if you've come to realize that there is something afterward and it's called eternity forever and what we do in this life affects what we do, what happens with us in eternity and where we spend eternity and the quality of that time in, in heaven, in light of all of those things or in light of the end, do these things. And that's kind of where he's saying like, listen, life is short. Don't get distracted mm -hmm. by the things that are around you. And so he brings up this stuff of the day, you know, don't, don't do as the world is doing, um, orgies and drunk, drunkenness, sexual immorality. But I brought in the, the Roman, culture at that time with the gladiatorial games and things like that. And, and for me, like historical context, what the people were going through at that time is sort of indicative or helps you understand as the modern reader, why Paul or why the author is saying what they're saying and what maybe an application is drawn from that. But I was thinking in, in regard to the culture or hardship as a Christian, we respond in a few different ways. Either A, we revolt, which that's why he said don't, you know, submit to the governments because there were revolts happening at the time because of taxation. Or as Christians, we often retreat. We just pull fully away, right? We just hide in our houses and we get into our holy huddles and we don't engage in culture at all. Or, and I think this is what he's saying here, sometimes Christians just reabsorb. They, they get, they go back into the culture to some degree. They still claim to be Christians but yet they're doing the things non-Christians do and, and maybe thinking that they're like going to win the world in that way. Like 
oh, let's just look just like the world, and then they'll realize that our Jesus is cool or something like that. But they reabsorb back into the world, and they don't realize how much the world has gotten into them when they're supposed to be, right, distinct from the world. But what he's saying here is don't reabsorb. Don't start doing the things that the world is doing, but instead going back to chapter 2, verse 1-2, be renewed. So don't revolt, retreat, don't reabsorb, but instead be renewed in your transformation. And and you do that by putting on the qualities of Jesus Christ and, and who he is and the way he walked, because he did none of those things, right? They asked him to revolt. He wouldn't do it. They asked him to retreat and get away. And no, he was with the people <laughs> constantly. And certainly he didn't absorb into the culture, but he um, showed a different way. And that's kind of the, the Sermon on the Mount idea. But that was something that kind of I thought about even after the sermon, like, oh, that's kind of yeah. what he's what he's doing here. You know, the the in light of the culture in Rome at that time. Um, but yeah. yeah. Yeah, I can't even remember why, but it, what you were saying reminded me, I just read this uh, George Bernard Shaw quote, um, and he at one point said, the reasonable man adapts himself to the world. The unreasonable one persists in trying to adapt the world to himself. Therefore, all progress depends on the unreasonable man. <laughs> it's yeah. just kind of an interesting, an interesting idea, not necessarily a biblical idea, right. but the the reasonable person does look around and go like okay how do i get along with everyone the easiest possible way and a reasonable person in this culture would have looked around and like okay well i'll go to all the same parties people will like me i'll do all that stuff you know and for us as christians not that we try to adapt the world to ourselves um, but we have to often make an unreasonable choice and say i'm going to go totally countercultural and I hope I bring some of the world along with me in in heading toward the way of Christ versus the way the rest of the world is. Um, but it is, uh, you know, maybe we need to reconcile in our hearts. It is going to be an, probably an unreasonable choice a lot of times to follow Jesus rather than just look around and figure out the best way we fit into the culture around us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, I... In, like I thought about this too in light of like the way we present the gospel to a non-Christian because I think sometimes when we present the gospel it's hey God loves you he sent his son to die on the cross for you if you believe in him then you'll go to heaven when you die none of those things that I just said are untrue but they're not they're not the full truth because then it, it's not talking about how you ha- now have a relationship with God. It's not talking about the things that you're going to struggle with. Again, putting off the old self, putting on the new self. Uh, it's not talking about eternity. So bringing these other things in, I think, would be helpful um, in our gospel preaching. Um, because the other, So in light of the end, Paul says, put off darkness, put on light. And in my experience, I think there's a lot of Christians or people who call themselves Christians, they have make an emotional response because they're having a really hard season of life or something. They're like, I need God in my life. And so they make a decision, they follow Jesus, but they don't, they don't put off the old. Um, they don't, the old friend, the friends that they, they had, they don't, they continue to hold on to them. And it's like, dude, those people are holding you back from following Jesus, you know, or, or there's habits that they don't want to get rid of. And I don't, think what Paul is saying is 
get rid of everything, quit your job and go run away. That's not what he's saying. He's saying put off darkness, put off the thing. And, and I was also going to say some people uh, not in orgies or drunkenness. He's not saying, you know, you can't ever like have a drink of alcohol again. Right. He's not being a legalistic person. He's saying if you're not sober minded, like if you're in just a debaucherous, uh, licentious lifestyle, then, yeah, you look more like the world. And um, obviously immorality and sensuality, quarreling and jealousy. I mean, these are extreme lifestyles that that he's talking about. Mm -hmm. And but I think that Christians struggle to put those things off. Um, and, And because of that, they don't live the blessed Christian life. Because the first thing is, is they're trying to like, uh, like one guy, I was reading a, a little book on it and he was saying, you know, when you go t- to like a ball, right? Like you're wearing a, a, as a girl, you're wearing a really nice dress cause that's the occasion or you're wearing like a nice tuxedo. Well, you wouldn't like work out in a tuxedo. That'd be super weird. So when you put on Christ and his righteousness, you need to act accordingly to that. So in regard to the tuxedo, right, you're going to act as, as if someone's wearing a, tu- you're wearing a tuxedo, right? Yeah. The, the outfit fits the occasion Dignified, and you act yeah. a certain way. Right. And I know like when I wear like a suit, for some reason, my posture gets better. I have no idea why, but it just, <laughs> I stand better when I'm wearing a suit or something. <laughs> but when I'm wearing like sweatpants and a sweatshirt, I tend to like slouch more, <laughs> you know? So it's, just as an illustration for that, but I, I don't know. Do you guys have experiences with that of like in your uh, relationships, knowing people who have become Christians and yet they kind of just look a little bit more worldly and our heart, they, they struggle to put off darkness. Yeah. I mean, I know the, the, que- that question, do new Christians struggle to put off old ways? I mean, the answer is definitely yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's yeah. a ton of things. Um, you know, that are really hard. I mean, some things are even just habits, like the language you choose to use um, is a habit that's like kind of hard to change sometimes for some people. And and I think like some of that's personality too. Some people are able to break habits really quickly. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely an aspect of like coming to Christ there. You have the Holy Spirit now. And so you're empowered to walk, but there's still a lot of stuff that is a struggle and um, and I was kind of curious as I think because I I'm similar to Brandon that I grew up in a Christian home, grew up going to church, um, and I I'm curious. Do you feel like it? Maybe in some sense, it's almost harder to figure out which things you need to put off because mm. you're so steeped in like a Christian culture um, that like it takes you a second to even you feel like you're doing pretty good just because of the stuff you were raised to do, you know. Yeah, I think so because you, you know, for me, I, where I didn't have that night and day difference between before and after Mm -hmm. coming to Christ, um, a lot of things that I grew up with weren't necessarily bad, but at the same time, I may still have some of those habits of, you Mm -hmm. know, what, what TV shows do I watch or what movies do I watch? And it's kind of the same progression. There wasn't this oh no, I need to now cast this off because of this big change that happened in my life. And so um, that's a struggle that I kind of struggle with sometimes as well. Yeah. Well, and and if I remember part of your story, Brandon, I remember you saying that growing up, there was this like pressure to succeed. Yeah. 
So, and when, when I say succeed, I'm saying like financially, economically, socially, like in the community, not necessarily in the church per se. I mean, it's not disconnected from that, but it's like, you've got, okay, yeah, do well in the church, go to church, be regular, you know, give your pennies, but also <laughs> like be ridiculously successful, as successful as you could be, which, I mean, it's not like you'd want to be a failure at life, but what is, what does it mean to be successful? And that, that can also be an idol sure. and a worldly pursuit. Yeah. Um, not like you can't be, have money or even have wealth or have like whatever the world would call success, but you know what I'm talking mm -hmm. about? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I was, as a kid growing mm -hmm. up, I mean, part of it was our culture then being in the eighties, everything was about materialism and you yeah. know, get rich as you can. So that was, I suppose, part of it. But the reinforcement was whether it was my parents or teachers in school, it was all about, um, you know, set goals for yourself, go to college, do all of these things. But it was always for the reason of so you can get a job and make a lot of money. I mean, that was yeah. always what the reason was, get a job that you can make a lot of money. And so that was always just reinforced, probably not only to me, but to a lot of people growing up at that time. Um, but I definitely took that on. I mean, that mm -hmm. was kind of my goal was to, you know, accumulate and things and uh, right. and succeeded at that, I guess, and then lost it all and now started right. over again. And, you know, so, you know, <laughs> which is which is a really like yep. uh, in the providence of God in your life. Right. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. so you have this goal and then you realize that is that like, God helps you to see that that is shifting sand right money comes and goes like markets rise and fall they're falling right now <laughs> as you oh, yeah. know well <laughs> you know and any little somebody wakes up and has a tummy ache and all of a sudden the dow drops 300 points you know and it's just like you can't trust this stuff and and so goals like that are just so horizontal they're so uh limited in their mm -hmm. scope like yeah if you only live once then make as much money as possible and live luxury and then because tomorrow you die you know i mean that's the that parable of the man who built the big barns right right he mm -hmm. you know he, he does has a great year a great crop and he's like great i'm building bigger barns i store it up so that i can kick my feet up and i i i'd say that's a great parable for retirement because, you know, sometimes people dream about retirement and you get to that age and then all of a sudden your health just like starts dropping fast because you get to retirement and then you're not working anymore. You lose your purpose and you're not giving back or whatever. You're just like, oh, cool, I can do whatever I want. And then all of a sudden your health just starts deteriorating super fast. But then you see yeah. these people who keep working and working and they're like living into their 90s and not that the goal of life is just to keep working but but you see the contrast there of well, i think what you said it's it's having a purpose <coughs> because yeah. what i see when i talk to people about retirement and people that i've helped get to retirement or whatever um if they don't have an idea of what it is they want to do in retirement i mean what does retirement look like to you is it just you're not working anymore but you're sitting at home watching tv all day long and right, that's right. retirement or is it to actually go whether it's traveling or or serving people or, you know, whatever right. it might be. I think it's just keeping yourself with a purpose. Yeah. And yeah. then you're going to 
you're going to succeed at retirement or not. I mean, but it's really not, um, you know, if you, if you don't have that direction in your life, if you don't think of that or what is it you want out of retirement, it's, it's going to be, it's not going to be fun. Yeah, 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 exactly. And that's going to be the person that doesn't survive long into retirement because they basically are just bored to death and right, you know, right. have nothing to do. Mm. So. I heard this great quote, or I read a great quote in a book that we are, I think we read it already um, by Kenneth Boa, but he was, the quote was, in our, we use our health to chase wealth and then we use our wealth to chase health. <laughs> as time <laughs> yeah. goes on yep. in our life, you know, it's, it, yep. it is funny how it works that way, but yeah, put, so the, knowing the time put off darkness and then put on light. And I think this is something I've also seen among, um, Christians is that put off, put on principle Yeah, is we have to, you can't just do one. You can't just put on light and then leave the darkness there. Uh, because then you're, Obviously, it's just sort of a it, it's hypocrisy. Um, you can't just put off darkness because then you aren't having the that purpose that we were just talking about. Like you can't just take it, have a negative, the constant no person, you know, no, I'm not going to do that. No, I'm not going to do that. But you have to both put off darkness, the works of darkness and the things of the world. And you have to put on light, which in this context is the ethical things put on the qualities that Jesus had. And I think that um, earlier on, I think it's in Romans chapter six, Paul talks about putting on the righteousness of Christ. And in that sense, we're putting on salvation. I mean, that's what grants us justification is the imputed righteousness that was given to us uh, by faith. But in this sense, by putting on Christ, we're putting on his attributes and the way he lived his life and kind of the way people think about their spiritual disciplines, right? This is the things that Jesus did while on the earth. And in that sense, we're living like Jesus and not living like the world. Um, so he's both our savior and our example for how to live. So in this section, he's talking about that example. And I think that's where Christians really struggle because, well, I know how the world acts. I can see that. And I maybe, you know, that's more tangible to do and also you identify it so you can put it off quicker. It's, you really have to know Christ, who he is, what he's like, and in order to put on Christ and start walking and acting like him. So it's, it's a challenge both to intimately and, and relationally know Jesus, but to, as you do discover those things, you know, walk like Jesus and trust that his way of living life is the best way uh, to live life. But mm. what'd you guys think about that armor idea? Which part of it? <laughs> Where he says, put on the armor of light. And then later on says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you guys, did you discuss that at all in your uh, small group on Thursday? In your life group? I mean, we discussed it in the sense that, uh, you know, it, it sounds similar to the analogy of the putting on the full armor yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Our spiritual armor that we're instructed to put on the full armor of God. What is that, Ephesians 6? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think so. It is. What is it? Ephesians 6, 10. Put on the whole armor of God. Yeah, I quoted this in, in the sermon. Mm-hmm. Um, 
which I think fits that context, right? It's the last days. The, yeah. the, the evil one is roaring. Um, you know, I don't know if you've heard this in sermons before, but how they relate the armor is, you know, it's as if Paul is looking at the Roman guard that's like guarding him. And so he's got the breastplate and they sort of draw this Roman soldier. Mm-hmm. Um, but in fact, that's not true. <laughs> that's not true at all. Right. It it comes from the Isaiah because Isaiah describes God in this way. Right. And so Isaiah 59:17 talking about God and that Messiah who's coming, that conquering king, he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. Um uh, shoes for his feet, same in Isaiah, Isaiah 52. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news and publishes peace. Uh, so these these pictures of this soldier are actually pictures about God as mm. the soldier, not about the Roman soldier. And I think that's interesting because that connects better with putting on armor of light and then putting on the Lord Jesus yeah, because exactly. he is that soldier prophesied about from Isaiah. And so you're putting on him and his attributes as you engage in the spiritual battle that we're all in in the world. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a that's a really good uh, context to bring in to help us understand how to apply this passage a little bit better. Right. Absolutely. But yeah. And make no provision for the flesh. I think that's probably. Yeah. We talked when we discussed in our small group, we said you could just sit with that phrase for years and years and years and have like plenty to go off of for spiritual growth for sure What are the things i do that make provision for the flesh and it's you know and i think probably in that sense in your experience you find a lot of new christians struggle to put off the old life it's almost yes and no at that point because a new Christian, probably everything's really obvious. <laughs> like, you know, like when you talk about becoming a Christian, you had practices that were very obvious. Like I need to take that out. Yeah. You yeah. Know? But once you've done that, now there's a hundred. Yeah. Not as obvious ones. Yeah. And if you get to those, there's a million really tiny, subtle things yeah. where you're making provision. It's like this, like, you know, it, uh, like, a like the universe, every time you get to the smaller atom, everything gets increasingly complex yeah. the smaller you get, you know, and I think our spiritual lives are like that. When we make provision for the flesh, we do it in so many subtle ways that when you really start digging into it, it's like, oh, yeah, you, you know, you begin to realize how sinful you are. Um, and that's kind of what I meant when I asked that question, because I found that in my life growing up as a Christian, um, because I got really good at living in a Christian culture, it felt like I was doing really well. Yeah. You know, like it was almost, you know, there, I had a period of time where I was not even trying to live a Christian lifestyle at all. And I did all kinds of obviously sinful stuff. Um, but I think there are, there is a point in your spiritual journey where you've gotten pretty good at the major sins Mm -hmm. where you're like, ah, I'm doing really well. (laughs) And then you have to like kind of sit there and go like, oh, but there is that thing and that thing and that thing and that thing. And there's no like paragraph in the Bible explicitly stating that one, but I know it's sin (laughs) and I know I'm letting it go, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And well, I'm sorry. Were you going to say something? The the next section is going to get into the gray areas, the gray matters. (laughs) 
the Fifty Shades of Grey matters. <laughs> uh, dude, that's my that's my uh, that's my spot. I love the gray areas. The gray I love areas. Discussing the gray areas. What am I supposed <laughs> to do about you know how to celebrating certain things or uh, drinking alcohol or you know it's all those things that like the Bible doesn't speak directly to, mm-hmm. and yet we're supposed to use a gospel ethic and wisdom in how we should do things. So he does this. Don't don't be crazy. Don't do orgies and drunkenness and immorality and sensuality, right? Quarreling and jealousy, all that stuff. Okay, big things, right? Check. But then he says, make no provision (laughs) for the flesh. So then some would say, well, in that case, I can't watch TV. (laughs) I can't go anywhere near alcohol. Mm. I can't do these. And they just start going, well, no provision for the flesh. Like, so, man, at that stage, I mean, you're not even... I'm not even I'm not going to eat foods that have hormones in it anymore. I'm right. going super clean, water only, like it can go <laughs> so far, yeah. right? And so that's why he's getting into the next section because he's kind of putting two extremes here um together, no provision for the flesh. But <clears throat> in in applying that passage, I mean, yeah, like there are some Christians who probably like shouldn't have social media because a, maybe it leads them to like sensual things mm-hmm. or B, it just there's all kinds of news outlets or things like that that get them really frustrated. Mm-hmm. And so then they go and quarrel with people and, <laughs> you know, you don't understand how much like those are influencing you mm-hmm. or it affects the way that you think about people. And so, yeah, like as Jesus said, like if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Um, like we should take extreme measures in mortification of sin, right? Getting rid of sin in our lives and killing the flesh. Um, and again, he's going to get into those gray areas, but uh, as a great application, you know, what are for anyone listening, you know, what are those things that's like, man, I watch too much Facebook or I, 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 I'm watching these shows that are probably not building me up or, or helping my mind to be renewed. Uh, like going back to chapter 12, verse one and two, um, what friendships do I need to cut off? You know, what, what things do I keep doing that are subtle, but could potentially lead to worse things, you know, or a relationship, right? You're at work and you're like, as a guy thinking, oh yeah, I can be friends with that girl. Like we're, we just joke around, you know, and next thing you know, you know, it's, it's a, something has happened that you don't want to have happen, you know? So making no no provision for the flesh uh, to gratify its desires. And I think that that's a really, yeah, really important thing at the end. But I'm excited to get into the gray matters. <laughs> Actually, I'm kind of not. Cause... I was going to say, are you? That sounds like a <laughs> stressful preaching schedule right there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But good news is I don't have to think about it this week because Todd Miles is coming. That's right. We have a guest. We have a guest. And I have no idea what he's preaching on yet because he hasn't gotten back to me. But I always love Todd when he when he's come down. And I think the church really loves him too. He's a good good dude. Yeah, he's a cool dude. He's been on our podcast. Yeah, Maybe he we'll has. we'll get him again. <coughs> yeah. All right. Well, let's move on. It's time for Bible trivia right now. Here is your Bible trivia for the week. <laughs> <laughs> Brandon's looking at Cody like he's crazy. <laughs> Here's your Bible trivia for the week. How big is the largest army assembled in the Bible? Hmm. Do you want options? 
I can give you multiple options. choice. I can give you multiple. Oh, choice wow. Options. I'll take a multiple choice. All right. How big was the largest army assembled in the Bible? Was it 50,000, 800,000, 1 million or 50 million? Wow. Those are your options. I'm going to go with 1 million. I'm going to say 800,000. It is 1 million. 1 wow. million. Prize goes to the lead pastor. Way to go. Yep, mm-hmm. that's in Second Chronicles 14.9. That's amazing. Zara the Ethiopian had a host of 1 million, which he brought against King Asa. Back wow. In Chronicles. 1 million man. Putin, what you got on that? 1 million man march. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, topical. <laughs> too relevant. <laughs> Topically too, too sensitive. Soon, too soon. All right. Well, we have a volunteer of the week we should probably get to then too. Yeah, do you think that one works? Works. Volunteer of the week. Okay. Go ahead. Oh, you wrote it in there. You go ahead. I know. Well, I just only because I called her earlier and she didn't answer the phone. I called her three times to get her onto the podcast. She didn't answer <laughs> her phone. Uh, but she miraculously just came to the front office to ask me a question. So I was Jeannie the- Iman. <laughs> no, we had already asked. I was the backup? No, 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 no. No, we, a- we asked you. No, we asked you. <laughs> no. We want to get Jeannie Iman on the podcast. Yes. Jeannie Iman teaches the women's Bible study. And uh, on Thursdays, she's been attending the church for a long time and amazing godly <laughs> woman. She also helps out in just the general women's ministry that meets monthly and uh, just disciples and has a has a mind that thinks biblically about things. She's involved in BSF and uh, her husband, John, is also an incredibly godly man, been around the church for a long time and is our treasurer. And uh, so anyway, we appreciate the Imans, but Jeannie is definitely the volunteer of yeah. most a, weeks. Jeannie's amazing. I mean, yeah, I've known is. her most of my life and... Uh, I remember going through different challenging times on things we've dealt with as elders and she would just a random call out of the blue to some encouraging words and things. Yes. Just just a real, real encourager. Yeah. What what I've always appreciated about Jeannie is uh, there there was a, a quote that a guy told me, people like to be liked more than they like you. And that person is a people pleaser. Jeannie is nothing like that. <laughs> like she loves people, but if there is a truth that needs to be held up higher, she will hold to that truth. And if there's a relation, if someone go, it goes another direction and they're acting crazy, she will tell them straight to their face lovingly. <laughs> yeah. um, she wants to win it back, but she will not coddle uh, ungodly behavior. And I remember when I first moved here and, there was a lot of gossip and slander going on and I got on the phone with her and I was talking to her about some things and she just goes, Aaron, let me tell you about how it works in a small town (laughs) (laughs) coming from a big city. But that was Uh, how she said it. Let me tell you how it works in a small town. And uh, that was, she was very right. I've appreciated her a ton. Yeah. And I will say Jeannie's, she also to her credit is one of those type of people that is exactly the same everywhere. Yeah, so she's a she's the vol- integrity. She's the volunteer of the week here, but I mean, she has you know all these different places playing tennis and yep. all, and wherever she is, she's ministering to people in those scenarios. I know her grandkids adore her. Like she's the, just the type of person that 
the person she is here ministering and leading, she's like that in every other social circle she finds herself in, too, yeah. which is really cool to see. Yeah, I agree. Um, I mean, I was a little surprised that you didn't have Brandon be the volunteer. He's sitting right next to you. I mean, that's I'm just. Glad you didn't. That'd be. <laughs> would that be awkward? We'll give it to him another time. That'd be too lazy. It'd be too easy. Too obvious. Too obvious. <laughs> nice. Well, Brandon, we appreciate you hanging out with us. Hopefully, it wasn't too weird. That's fun. And hopefully, you're not offended that you weren't going through a week. <laughs> we'll give it to you another day. I'm sure. I'm good. That's all right. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this On Sunday episode of the Canby Christian Church podcast. For more information about Canby Christian Church and its ministries, visit canbychristian.org.